Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Are you having trouble paying basic bills like rent? Millions of people are facing eviction from their homes right now because of steep rent increases, inflation, and an inability to catch up from the pandemic. And Native Americans are getting hit the hardest. The federal government recognized the threat people are facing, but eviction moratoriums and rent assistance programs are coming to an end. We'll get a better picture of the problem and what's being done to offset it coming up right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Congratulations, you are now members of the <laughs> Mary Peltola, Yupik, and former state lawmaker from Bethel, Alaska, was sworn in to the U.S. House Tuesday, becoming the first Alaska Native person to ever serve in Congress. Alaska Public Media's Liz Reskin reports from the Capitol. Peltola is 49, a mother of seven, and a salmon advocate. She gave a brief speech on the House floor. It is the honor of my life to represent Alaska, a place my elders and ancestors have called home for thousands of years, where to this day many people in my community carry forward our traditions of hunting and fishing. She's the first Democrat to win Alaska's sole House seat in 50 years. She's vowed to represent all Alaskans and carry on the bipartisan legacy of her predecessor, Republican Don Young, who held the seat for Peltola's entire life until his death in March. Like all Alaskans, I mourned his passing. In Yupik, when we lose a, a loved one, we say doyin riduk. This isn't the end. Anna Hoffman was at the Capitol to witness the moment. She's co-chair of the Alaska Federation of Natives and a classmate of Peltola's from Bethel. It feels like Mary is bringing a completeness to the U.S. Congress uh, that has been missing. As she was speaking, the thought that kept coming into my mind is the people's house. Peltola won a special election to serve the remainder of Young's term. She'll have to win again in November to keep the seat for the next two-year term. Reporting from the U.S. Capitol, I'm Liz Ruskin. Another Native woman also made history in Washington, D.C. this week. Chief of the Mohegan tribe, Lynn Malerba, was sworn in as treasurer of the United States, becoming the first Native American and Native woman to hold the office. Her signature will now appear on currency. In remarks, Malerba talked about the Biden administration's commitment to Indian country, saying her appointment is a promise kept and demonstrates respect for tribal sovereignty and understanding of the government-to-government -government relationship. The treasurer directly oversees the U.S. Mint, the Bureau of Engraving and Printing, and is a key liaison with the Federal Reserve. Malerba will also oversee a newly established office to communicate directly with tribes and be a hub for tribal policy. She became chief of the Mohegan tribe in Connecticut in 2010 and was the first woman to serve as top leader in the tribe's modern history. Last week, the Department of the Interior removed a racial slur from 650 geographical features in the U.S. Taylor Stagner has more. The SQ word is a slur for an indigenous woman. This affected hundreds of natural landscapes and around 70 tribal nations submitted changes for name changes, many of which were granted. 
It's an issue Interior Secretary Deb Holland has been working on since taking office. Crystal Seabaring is with the Tribal Historic Preservation Office on the Wind River Reservation in Wyoming. Her office deals with protecting cultural landmarks on and off tribal lands. She says it's about time. It was a name that totally degraded women and and dehumanized our Native women and just made them seem less than. Questions still exist involving certain places with incorrect or inconsistent spelling of Native languages, what name to use when two tribes suggest different names, and features that span multiple jurisdictions. For National Native News, I'm Taylor Stagner. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. There's no reason to let uncertainty about the election process keep you from voting. That's why AARP created state-specific, comprehensive election guides. Learn more at aarp.org slash election guides. AARP supports this show. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Federal assistance for renters is winding down, and many cities are also ending their own supplemental renters programs and eviction moratoriums. The U.S. Census Bureau warns the nation could see nearly 4 million evictions in a span of two months, ending in October. There are a number of reasons. The real estate service Zillow says rents have risen 25% since the start of the pandemic. Other sources also list rising inflation as a contributing factor. And at least one survey finds Native Americans report serious concerns about being evicted at a far higher rate than any other group. Today we're going to dig into what appears to be a looming eviction crisis and get perspectives from Native American housing advocates who have a ground-level view of the problem. We also want to hear from you. Are you a renter? Do you have your own concerns about making rent? Is your housing status different than it was before the pandemic? Give us a call. Join our conversation. We're at 1-800-996-2848. It's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. First on the line and joining us from Window Rock, Arizona, is Earl Tully. He's the Emergency Rental Assistance Program Manager for the Navajo Nation. He's Navajo. Earl, welcome to the show. Yes, yate. Yate, Earl. Well, let me ask you, are you seeing an increase among the Navajo Nation and people needing help paying rent? Yes, there are a number of factors that would be calculated into that particular um, uh, equation as far as uh, rental impacts. More than half of Navajo's population of 399,000 are residing off the Navajo Nation, as in many Native communities seeking other opportunities as jobs or other uh, schooling opportunities or maybe even for work um, that would fit their particular trade skills. And um, these individual families are impacted as well. 
in regards to running um, their particular household and then also trying to meet uh, their particular needs as far as uh, maintaining a job and maintaining a home. Well, tell us more about your program. Uh, how much assistance are you able to offer Navajo citizens, and what's the process by which they're eligible? The uh, process, um, that is up to individual tribes. For Navajo Nation, it is an individual would be, have to have a CIB, Certificate of Indian Blood, and then also the individual would have to have a lease that is um, signed and current. And then after that, uh, they would provide their income information in order to be eligible. Uh, the uniqueness is, is that um, in regards to living off the Navajo Nation and then also living within the parameters of the uh, Navajo Nation, if there are other tribal members residing within the jurisdiction of the Navajo Nation or Navajo Reservation, we can assist them. Case in point would be is let's say we have a sister tribe from Hopi member uh, working in Chinle, Arizona as a teacher. She could qualify and be assisted with her housing or his housing as long as they reside within the jurisdiction of Navajo. However, if that individual was off Navajo, then that would be a little bit more challenging. That's interesting, Earl. And are these are these are federal dollars coming through the Treasury Department? These are federal dollars coming through the Treasury Department, and the allocation of funds uh, basically uh, will differ with each individual tribe. And then also, uh, in regards to that, um, they can assist, and they can assist their individual tribal members within Navajo. Uh, one of the greater things is, is that uh, we have the CIB, uh, which is the Certificate of Indian Blood. That's the main driving factor of that. The other aspect of it is, is that many of our relatives that are residing off Navajo, they are living in multi-generational homes, as, as mentioned at the beginning of this program. More and more we are seeing that because of the inflation of uh, rent. Some of these individuals are seeing rent increases from $400 to $1,300 and thereby um, with the jobs that they do have, they'll have to take on another job to have that particular extra income coming in so that they can meet the demands of their household needs. Earl, you just said rent going skyrocketing, $400 to $1,300. That's more than a 300% increase. I can't imagine how that couldn't just be catastrophic to a working family. Um, what are all the factors? Is this all just related to the pandemic and inflation, or are there other things going on? I, I believe that uh, as far as the economics of this is, is that um, it has been impacted by the uh, COVID um, impact that we have seen. Uh, we have seen a number of situations where individuals are asking for employees or workers to come on to a particular uh, job source and some of our family members basically do not want to go to work uh, basically because they don't want to be exposed to COVID and um, some of those other factors that are there is is that I believe that we have seen increases in the building trade as far as uh, the OSB which is a uh, stranded um, fiber board that is utilized in the construction we've seen that come from $17 to you know $98 uh, in a construction season, and then also we have seen the impacts that it has made with uh, the purchase of gas as well. 
and then now we're seeing a bit more in the uh, grocery aspect of it. So uh, it's all a um, chain uh, effect in regards to that. So basically maintaining the home, maintaining the apartment complex, these particular landlords or property managers are seeing the increase as well, and they have to pass on those particular numbers on to their customers, as it is the case with many of the other uh, items that uh, individual families procure. Now, Earl, this program has a timeline on it. When does it end? How long will families be eligible? The uh, timeline on this particular assistance or this particular service that is being provided by the Department of Treasury is, is that uh, September 30th, um, September 30th is the drop uh, dead date, um, deadline date for individual tribes to receive applications. And those particular families that are in the uh, particular portal or in the particular pipeline you know, we could assist them. However, the last day of the assistance for rental assistance is going to be December 31st, 2022. Okay, so that's just coming up here uh, in less than three months. So um, what happens next? I mean, for example, a family like you suggested earlier could see their rent go from $400 or now it's $1,300. What are they going to do if this uh, assistance is no longer available? Uh, many of the families, I would imagine, is is that they, uh, they will have to make a decision in regards to what their living accommodations are going to be in regards to do I continue to reside here, and then they'll have to take a look at their family finances, the front end and the back end, you know, how much money is coming in, and at the back end, how much money is left uh, to sustain a family. Individual families are going to have to make a uh, hard-line choice there, and as uh, if that particular hard-line choice is not being made presently, uh, individual families will have to continue on and then continue to pay their particular um, uh, lease obligations. Or some families basically have opted to say that if I'm going to be paying this amount of rent, maybe it would be better for me to become a homeowner and then um, look into the possibility of uh, mortgage opportunities that are out there. However, in that particular case, then there are some families that are going to have to make a long-term commitment uh, to um, realize their particular goal. Now, many of these COVID-related assistance programs, they, they have been extended uh, over the last few years. Any likelihood that uh, this emergency rental assistance program will or could potentially be extended beyond December 31st, 2022? There, there could be a possibility. Um, there is an opportunity to speak with our congressional members as well as the, the Department of Treasury, uh, the, you know, President Biden and uh, Vice President Harris. You know, if the uh, local communities can um, make an amplified voice in a sense of uh, uniting with one another to see if we could ask the president to extend this particular program. Uh, this particular program, meaning the uh, emergency rental assistance program, it is not. It does not only cover rental uh, assistance. It covers the utility assistance and then also the internet assistance too. Um, individual families can be assisted up to 12 months plus an additional three months. So families could be assisted up to 15 months. There is no cap as far as how much money. Uh, the individual families could be assisted with. 
the only cap is is the 15 months. As we understand, a person that is living in Hawaii, their particular uh, living arrangements or living quarters, cost of living is higher than those in other states. And so in that particular aspect, I believe that uh, they are going to really see some of the impacts. And with uh, our particular program, we have assisted families um, that are in Washington, D.C., to Florida, over to San Diego, and to Hawaii, back to Washington State, up into Alaska. So there are a number of families residing across the continental U.S. We're speaking now with Earl Tully, and he is in Window Rock, Arizona, and he's the Emergency Rental Assistance Program Manager for the Navajo Nation, and we're learning more about the Emergency Rental Assistance Program, and uh, it's actually going to end here at the end of the year. So that is interesting, and certainly a lot of inflationary pressures as well as the pandemic and other issues are, are causing some of these higher rents that uh, hardworking families are having to deal with uh, going forward. And we've got more guests on the show today that are also going to talk about some of these other uh, rental assistance programs that are available, as well as some of these issues that Native families are facing with regard to paying higher rent. So if you're a renter or if you're a homeowner, we'd love to hear from you. We'd like to know what your thoughts are on these matters. That number is 1-800-996-2848. That's the number to call, and uh, we'll be right back. We have to take a short break. Please stay with us. The death of Queen Elizabeth and the start of King Charles' reign is capturing the world's attention. The royal family plays a largely symbolic role on the global stage, but that symbolism has meaning for many indigenous people. We'll discuss Queen Elizabeth's mixed legacy and the potential new opportunities that are ahead. That's on the next Native America Calling. Support for this program provided by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium the collective spirit and unifying voice of 37 tribal colleges and universities. For over 45 years, AHEC has worked to ensure that tribal sovereignty is recognized and respected and that tribal colleges and universities are included in this nation's higher education system. Information on a tribal college or university near you at AIHEC.org. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The pandemic hit renters hard. Federal assistance is drying up even as rents continue to climb. Combined with inflation and other factors, a record number of people are facing eviction notices. Are you concerned about paying rent? Join us by calling 1-800-996-2848 or have you received an eviction notice? That number is also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Give us a call. Our producers are standing by. We're waiting for your calls. Our next guest is joining us from Washington, D.C., Tony Walters. He's the executive director of the Native American Indian Housing Council. He's a citizen of the Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma. Tony, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me today. Tony, we just heard from Earl, uh, emergency rental assistance program uh, coming to the end, coming to an end here at the end of the year. So uh, other resources out there for tribes uh, that want to help their, their citizens with renter's assistance. Can you tell us what else is available? 
Sure. Well, a little bit about the tribal housing programs. You know, they get annual funding each year, uh, federal funding through the NAHASDA program, the Native American Housing Assistance and Self-Determination Act. A lot of tribes use those funds for kind of annual uh, rental assistance programs as well. So there's hopefully a little bit of a safety net and backdrop there for a lot of our tribal programs. Uh, a lot of the states will still have some emergency rental assistance program dollars left as well that will extend beyond this year, and that's just for the state programs, and that's what we're working here on D.C. to give tribes that extra time as well. Okay, state programs available. So um, you know, this issue with these rising rents, and are, are you seeing similar issues to what Earl described there at the Navajo Nation? Are you seeing those across Native America with regard to Native renters? Yeah, I think so, particularly once you get outside the tribal communities. A lot of the tribal uh, uh, communities that have uh, rental properties in them are usually managed by the tribe, so they have some a lot more flexibility on what how they can control rent prices uh, for members of their own community. But particularly as you start getting into the private rental market, right, those just kind of owned by uh, uh, normal landowners, uh, homeowners renting out their properties, you know, those rates are continuing to rise across the country, and, and Indian country is, is certainly part of that as well. And uh, your organization, NAYAC, uh, NAYAC when it, what are you folks up against when it, when it comes to making a case to lawmakers and others uh, on behalf of Native renters and homeowners? I mean, some of these, these costs, I just don't need to see how it's sustainable when we hear rents going from $400 a month up to $1,300 a month. I mean, uh, you know, what's the answer here, Tony? Well, there's a, there's a lot of answers. Hopefully it, it all kind of... Uh, starts with educating our members of Congress here in Washington, D.C., and our federal partners at HUD and Treasury and other agencies. Uh, it's a lot of education, right? Uh, everyone knows who's listening today knows our tribal communities spread out over 34, 35 states across the country. No one state's got that big constituency, so almost all members of Congress need some education on how, on how these issues are facing or affecting our tribal communities. So a lot of that's where we start. That's one of the reasons we were formed at, in Washington, D.C. by tribal housing programs almost 50 years ago. We serve as kind of that advocacy piece for tribal housing programs and tribal communities. And a lot of that's just, you know, knocking on doors and, and making sure that they have all the information they need to know, you know, what investment we need to make in tribal communities. And it's been an underinvestment, unfortunately, for the last 20, 25 years at least. Uh, in the tribal housing sector, and we're trying to uh, work on that, getting more resources to the tribal programs across the country. And Tony, do you folks have data? Do you know uh, what the breakdown is in Native America with regard to the, the number, the percentage of families that are renting versus those that are homeowners? Yeah, I don't think we got a good data set on that. It's pretty difficult to kind of capture that. You know, each community, different sizes, uh, different geographies to, to, to capture a lot of that data. We don't have a consistent set of that. So I think we rely on just kind of general census numbers, things like that. And it all goes into formulas that the federal partners use to kind of uh, allocate uh, federal housing assistance to, to, uh, to the tribes. So we don't have good data on, you know, the breakdown of renters versus homeowners. Uh, it's gonna and it's gonna be different too once you get off reservation. So it's uh, something we're always trying to work on and, and try to find partnerships here in Washington D.C. with other housing organizations and you know state programs as well, trying to get better data for that. But because some of our communities are so small, it's often difficult to get some of that good uh, quality data set uh, that we can have consistency across you know tribe to tribe or state to state. So it's always a challenge. You know, I think home ownership rates for Native Americans uh, are lower than. Uh, other demographics here in the country, so we're always trying to find ways to create new programs uh, to uh, you know, create more native home buyers, whether it's on tribal communities or not. 
but uh, always looking for better data. There's a handful of, of housing and home ownership programs out there. There's uh, federal loan guarantee programs that help Native homeowners uh, buy homes both on and off tribal uh, communities. Uh, always looking to make uh, those programs work better for folks, too. There's always a lot of red tape involved in some of these federal programs, of course. Uh, so we're always trying to streamline those and make them more uh, effective for Native families and individuals looking to buy homes out there. Well, Earl mentioned earlier that one option for some of these folks that are facing these increasing rents is to become homeowners, and obviously that's the goal in many tribal communities is to promote home ownership and, and make more Native families homeowners. But unfortunately, there's that's just not always an option for some folks, or some folks do prefer to be renters. They like the flexibility uh, of being renters as opposed to, to having a mortgage and being locked into a long-term commitment with a home. Uh, so obviously, you know, we're, we have a fair number of renters in Native America, and I think uh, there's going to be a fair number of renters going forward. So uh, what do you think it's going to take, uh, you know, now that we're coming through hopefully the end of the pandemic and, and hopefully we've kind of seen the worst of the inflation? Um, is there any likelihood that we're going to see uh, somewhat of a of a break from these high rents and uh, it's possible that um, being a renter will be a little bit more affordable going forward for Native folks? Well, that's always our goal and I think that's something we're working towards. I think it's, it's going to be difficult for a while. You know, I think that the, one of the main culprits on top of inflation and some of the other factors and, co- and the impact from COVID, just the housing shortage across the United States. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a shortage across the entire country. Rural America, in particular Indian country, is a big part of that. I think there's some studies out there showing that the United States as a whole country needs at least 1.5 million more homes to be built uh, to, to adequately and safely house everyone, Whether and that's both home ownership and renters, right? So we just need more units. We need more uh, houses out there for people to, to live in and, and have as homes, whether they're renting or owning. Uh, so that's a big, uh, big factor. You know, there's just not a lot of units out there to rent up. That's why we see some multi-generational families living under the same roof, as, as Earl mentioned and as you all have mentioned before. So that's going to be the biggest challenge is just creating more housing development across the board. Our job at NIAC is trying to get tribes the resources they need, whether it's treasury dollars, federal uh, dollars from HUD, uh, or otherwise. And a lot of tribes and tribal governments, they're actually investing you know, tribal uh, money as well into their housing programs just to create more and more housing stock to alleviate some of that need that's out there. And hopefully once you create those housing units, you're going to see rents kind of come down as well. Uh, but that's going to be a, a longer-term kind of challenge, and that's something we're all working towards. Yeah, it's certainly something that we're going to be paying close attention to uh, in the months and, and years coming up. Tony, thanks so much for all this information. Let's go to the phones now. We have Marianne listening in Albuquerque, New Mexico on KUNM. Marianne, hello. Marianne, are you there? Looks like we don't have Marianne on the line, but we do have another caller ready. June, listening in Anchorage, Alaska on KNBA. June, hello. You're on Native America Calling. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I have a question regarding um, I am on a fixed income uh, this year, and um, my rental assistance ends in December, and I'll be paying almost half of that um, rent uh, when it ends, and I have few bills and not enough to uh, pay for food and other stuff. Um, Are there any other programs besides with the state of Alaska and other uh, sections? 
that I can apply for. June, thanks for that call. And um, uh, boy, it sounds like it's tough up there for you. And, and, and we're thinking about you. And uh, yeah, let's get some good answers for you about some other types of assistance available uh, when this uh, emergency rental assistance program ends at the end of the year. Tony, uh, other programs, uh, even independently of the state, I know Anchorage, Alaska, um, you know, it's maybe not quite in your wheel well, but uh, what are some options? Are maybe maybe local housing coalitions or nonprofits there in the Anchorage area? Do you have any answers for June in terms of how she can get some continued assistance after the new year? Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't think I have too many specific answers, but I can tell you, you know, almost every state, and, and I think some tribes are part, doing different levels of partnerships with the states that they're residing in or uh, share share with. Uh, but there's there's tons of programs out there for, you know, not even COVID-related, right? There's been uh, in-existence rental assistance programs, uh, you know, certainly utility assistance programs, particularly states like Alaska that have some high high costs of energy, uh, you know, uh, lie heat programs, uh, low-income housing, uh, heating and energy assistance, things like that. A lot of the states will have those. Some tribes will have access to some of those program dollars, too. Unfortunately, you know, it's just a lot of uh, legwork trying to find it all, and, and you got to comb the Internet sometimes or make some calls to your local folks. Uh, just to kind of see who's offering these programs. Don't have a good database, particularly particularly for Alaska and some of those communities here, uh, accessible to us right now. But um, you know, there's there's always tons of options. And, you know, almost all of them are underfunded, so you may have to you know uh, call back multiple times just to make sure that uh, check in with them to make sure they've got new rounds of funding or new funds available, resources available. But there's plenty of options out there, and uh, it's really just kind of connecting a lot of dots. And unfortunately, we know that's a lot of work for folks who may not have the time to, to do that because they're, they're busy working uh, and keeping their family uh, safe. But uh, uh, there's usually programs and resources out there both at the tribal and state level, yeah. Okay. You know what, Earl, are you, if, if you're still there, Earl Tully, I'd, I'd like you to chime in quickly. Any other further um, recommendations or advice that you can offer to June up there in Anchorage? Because uh, this is coming up really soon This uh, when this program wraps up, and we sure would like to provide her with as many resources and answers to your question as, as possible. Earl, any additional thoughts? Yes. I, I Here in the Southwest, we have a number of faith-based groups. Um, Southwest Indian Foundation here in Gallup um, provides assistance in regards to rental and then utility payments and other payments as well. The faith-based groups are an opportunity for families to seek out information. I think that that would be one recommendation the other recommendation is is that there are other federal programs that are out there. Let's say the VASH program for the Veterans uh, Housing Assistance Program. And then also there are other opportunities that are there. Uh, there let's say, for instance, um, Section 8 or uh, down in the Phoenix area, we have the Native Connections. They work with individual families as well. So there's a lot of different uh, individual communities that have um, uh, housing justice campaigns that are underway and then also making it affordable for their particular region and then also their particular families that are there. Each one of the tribes, they have a unique area of, um, you know, circumstances and challenges that they do face. And so I would recommend uh, taking a look at some of these faith-based groups and then also the a number of the uh, non-governmental um, organizations that are out there. As I had mentioned, there are some... Um, housing justice groups that are um, in, in the um, in their particular communities. Okay. Thanks for chiming in there, Earl. And we've got another caller, actually, Marion. Uh, excuse me, I said Marianne earlier, but it's Marion listening in Albuquerque on KUNM. 
Marion, hello. Hi, everyone. I just wanted to say um, I've been homeless, and we finally got a place, but it's super expensive because there were hidden costs, and they didn't tell us our extra utilities were going to be 150 plus. That's not, I mean, that's beyond the electricity and the gas from the city. And then uh, we had to pay for parking. That was 60 bucks. And then um, I didn't ask, does your air conditioning work? I didn't ask, uh, does the water heater have water throughout the house, the kitchen and the bathroom? And these are some of the problems we're up against. So, you know, just a word to the wise, check on these extra costs. We just jumped in this place because we were tired of being homeless. And um, just wanted, you know, to share that short piece of information for people. That's it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Marion, for calling in. And uh, Marion uh, cautions and advises folks to, to really pay attention to those leases that you sign and uh, make sure of all the terms of that rental arrangement that you're entering into are agreeable to you. And let's go ahead and we've got another guest uh, on our show today who I think could respond further to, to Marion's comments. Joining us from Portland, Oregon is Koya Delfina Crespin. She's a senior Metro community organizer for the Community Alliance of Tenants. Koya, welcome to the show. Hi there, thank you. Koya, uh, feel free to um, share with us uh, your tribal affiliation. I see it here in the notes, but I, I don't want to mispronounce it. I appreciate that. Um, I'm, I'm from the Ahashimam Nation um, in San Juan Capistrano. Um, that's California. Um, but I've been moving and displaced all my life. So I've lived up and down the West Coast and very familiar with Oregon and been in Oregon for over 10 years now. You're in Oregon over 10 years, and that's a that's a high uh, cost of living there in, in the Portland area in Oregon. And uh, you know, we heard uh, Marion mention earlier there in Albuquerque uh, dealing with with higher rents and and folks all across the country. So um, just right off the bat, what are some some words of advice that you can offer for folks that are either uh, facing uh, you know these these higher rents when the when the uh, rental assistance program ends at the end of the year or folks that are facing eviction notices or just interested in, in getting new apartments and they're, they're looking at leases. What, what do folks really need to understand right now? What do renters need to be paying attention to? You know, I really resonated with what Marion said about um, being houseless and feeling kind of desperate um, in that moment and um, how, how tenants are being taken advantage of who are in that position and especially um, as indigenous folks, as black and brown folks. Um, we know that we are discriminated against at, a high, at higher levels. And, um, and even though it's illegal, sometimes we feel trapped. Uh, like Marion says, she took a place because she felt kind of like this was, this was it, this was her chance, right? And how, do we, how are we able to um, have housing for ourselves and um, also have um, a sense of pride and a sense of dignity in where we stay, right? 
And so I think my advice in that moment to Marion and to folks like Marion is reach out to community-based organizations around you, um, reach out to churches, reach out to, if your kids go to school, talk to the school. Don't stay silent about the things that are going on in your housing. Um, talk to your neighbors. Be more, be more active with what's going on right in your building because those neighbors are probably facing the exact same things. Their AC is not working. They have... Um, they have issues getting getting their repairs done. All of these things are things that you, Marion, and other tenants like Marion, um, you that's your right to have those things. Um, and okay. so always reaching out, you know? All right. Well, we're speaking now with Koya Crespin. She's up in Oregon. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk more with Koya. She's got a lot of experience. She knows what it's like to come home and see an eviction notice taped your door. Give us a call. 1-800-996-2848. We'll be right back. Early voting has started, but with possible changes in district lines and state election laws, it's more important than ever to know how, when, and where to vote. That's why AARP created state-specific election guides where you can find up-to-date information about how to register, where to vote, the rules for early voting, and key deadlines. You don't have to let uncertainty about the election process keep you from voting. Learn more at aarp.org slash election guides. AARP supports this show. You're tuned in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about paying rent, and there's still time to join our discussion. Is your rental situation precarious? If so, what kinds of rental assistance is available to you from your tribal community? Please call us 1-800-996-2848. Let us know what's going on. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. And we are speaking with Koya Crespin. She's a senior Metro community organizer in the Portland, Oregon area. And Koya, like I mentioned before the break, this is a personal issue for you. You received a, a no cause eviction notice a while back. Can you tell us about that experience? Yeah, of course I can. You know, I moved to North Portland uh, about 11 years ago as a single mom. I, I moved into a larger two bedroom apartment and I was paying uh, $750 to in rent. Um, I was evicted six years later. It was a mass no cause eviction with all my neighbors. Um, we decided to stand and fight back and lift our heads up. And um, we fought back against that eviction. We won. Our landlord retracted the eviction. Um, our landlord then wanted us to uh, wanted to raise the rent on our apartments. Um, our apartments were very bad in mold and in roaches uh so we sent back a letter as a union um saying hey you want to raise the rent um can you please fix our apartments first and then our landlord evicted us all together but we again fought back sued our landlord in a class action suit um and that's just i tell i like telling that story because it's a good story of how if you band together really really you can move mountains and we made a lot of cool things happen um, and we really set the tone for, I think, landlords to come and what it could look like to set the tone um, for fighting back and raising your head. Um, and currently, those, union, those units um, that I was paying 750 for uh, rent for about 1700 a month. $750 to $1,700 a month. And did that just happen, like, overnight? How long was that period with that rent increase? 
Um, no, yeah, that was kind of an overnight t- thing. That was the plan of those those landlords, and many landlords like um, like them. Out of out of state owners come in; they want to flip the units, right? Um, and that's pretty much that's pretty much the plan. So they were on the market, folks. They they cleared out half of the building, right? Because not everybody wanted to stay and fight. People aren't always in that season in their life, right? Um, so they were able to extract about half the building and started renting them immediately for double the rent. Um, and, and might I add, rehab those units, but we were still on the other side of the building living in squalor, basically. While we were seeing these units getting flipped, they obviously had the means to do it, but they didn't want to do it for us because, you know, for obvious reasons. And I think it was also, it's also a matter of discrimination of white supremacy. Uh, it was a building full of black and brown folks, immigrants and refugees. Um, so a lot of those pieces fit in, right? Um, and, you know, CAT and other community-based organizations right now are overloaded with requests from Native community members to help with not only rent and utilities, but also requests to help navigate through the ERAP complex rental assistance application process, you know, and there's also a new rent cap amount here in Oregon, which has skyrocketed to a 14.6 allowable rental increase, and that's going to take place in January. Um, This is going to be really detrimental to indigenous renters who we're quite frankly still reeling from the pandemic. And I think there's this, there's this, this motion to push through and we're over it and it's over, but folks are still mourning whatever came with that. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And so what that would look like starting in January, landlords in Oregon may legally increase the rents by 14.6% this year. um, It's 9.9 in a unit that's $1,500 per month, um, that would skyrocket up to 1719 monthly. Um, so it's a pretty huge amount. It's basically a utility bill. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, that just, like I said earlier, just doesn't seem sustainable for, for a lot of folks that are renting. And, uh, you know, these, these eviction notices and, you know, a, a no-cause eviction, they're just saying, hey, we're just coming in, uh, we're telling you to vacate the property, could be right in the middle of an ongoing lease. So, I mean, what should somebody do if we've got a listener now that's facing an eviction? What's the first step? And, and what do tenants need to understand? What are their rights in a situation like that, Cora? Or Koya, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that happens all the time, so no worries. Um, yeah, I think, um, as I said before, always reaching out around you to 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 find somebody else who's dealing with what you're dealing with. Um, you're gonna you're gonna need to hit the pavement, you know. Um, and and I, that's the other thing. The some of our inclination is to kind of like ignore it, act like it's not happening, try to sleep through it. And with evictions, you really can't do that because you know, you're going to have the sheriff at your door. So I think it's, it also, it makes me think of being proactive. It makes me think of um, how now no cause evictions are not allowed in Oregon. And that's really based on the work and the organi- the community organizing that happened with the apartments that I was talking about, Titan Manor that I lived in and that I lived through. Because, and, and also those landlords in their first offer, they tried to make us all sign NDA agreements, non-disclosure agreements, meaning that I could never have this conversation with you again. They try to silence communities, right? And so that's why this is very important for folks to not let their voices be silenced. And it makes me think about how the land back movement 
relate to evictions on stolen land, right? So, like, we're talking about the theft and disposition of Native people. Um, that, that was our first eviction and the legal precedent for all evictions and displacements that have happened since, right? And these eviction tactics that are used by landlords, they inherently use these same tactics and laws, um, what's known as self-help evictions, in which landlords, they can totally circumvent the courts and forcibly remove people from their homes without proper legal documentation and approval. That's just an outgrowth of the physical violence that white settlers used with impunity to remove Native peoples from our land, right? And so I think it all comes in full circle in this moment. Okay. All right. Well, Coy, I really uh, applaud you for being uh, not only standing up uh, to these landlords like you have, but also just your advocacy work there in the Portland area. Folks, uh, still time to get a call in. 1-800-996-2848. Let's bring our next voice into the conversation. Joining us from Ukiah, California is Elizabeth Elliott. They are the executive director for the Northern Circle Indian Housing Authority. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we're getting a, a really good uh, overview of, of different parts of Native America, uh, Arizona, Navajo Nation. We've had a guest from Alaska on the show uh, talking to Koya there in Portland, Oregon. Tell us uh, there in California, Northern California, where you're at, uh, what's the situation with regard to these skyrocketing rents and, and Native uh, families who rent apartments and other homes? So, unfortunately, in our region, over the last three years, we've had multiple wildfires that that's impacted both our tribal housing stock and the housing stock in the private market. Uh, you also pair that with we're in a vacation region, and there are more Airbnbs than there are vacant units. So, it, it creates an almost non-existent housing stock. Uh, and so that's something that we've been battling prior to the pandemic. Um, the, the program that you've been talking about, the Emergency Rental Assistance Program from the Department of Treasury, we actually here at Northern Circle took this program as an opportunity to put our tribal members into better positions. So when we launched our, our ERAP program, we also launched a credit building credit repair program to uh, the Credit Builders Alliance. And so while we were paying out ERAP payments, our tribal members were also getting positive uh, credit payments reflected on their credit scores. And so in pairing that with empowering financial literacy courses, um, our environment looks a little bit different. We've created and empowered more homeowners this year than we have in our entire uh, 43 years of existence. And so for wow. us, it, it looks like we're, we're buying back neighborhoods one neighborhood at a time. Yeah, so it doesn't. This this Airbnb situation that you mentioned is just uh, so concerning because we see it uh, in so many different parts of the country, and especially uh, in, in a lot of tribal communities. You're seeing Airbnbs uh, in, in some cases on tribal lands, and then uh, in close proximity to tribal lands. And uh, yeah, I can understand that. There's just an earlier we we heard Tony mentioned uh, this shortage. One and a half million homes. This country is short, and that affects. 
not just native folks, but everybody. So, um, yeah, just just startling. And you mentioned the credit building program, and I want to ask you because Koya mentioned, you know, folks getting evicted and things like that. And how does that impact a person's credit? Uh, does that create long term problems in the future if somebody gets gets evicted? Absolutely. So uh, an eviction sits on the the city or records. And that follows you from state to state, and it makes it nearly impossible for low-income families or even moderate-income families to obtain uh, safe and secure housing. I'm an executive director, and I've, uh, I have lived homelessness experience, and it took me three years as a director to be able to get a unit in the city that I now reside in. And I only got called back from two of the major property companies here. Now, with my resume, if I'm battling what's happening to, you know, Auntie who's working at the grocery store and supporting a multi-generational household, that the property companies aren't going to look at her, and even more so if there's an eviction on her record. And so it's really crucial for tribal families to both in the private market and in tribal homes, negotiate the terms of evictions. See if you can opt out and leave before it actually goes to court for that unlawful detainer, or see if there's an alternative program that's available to assist you in a different situation, whether it's Section 8 or tenant-based rental assistance from a different program. It's really important to try and keep evictions off your record. Elizabeth, uh, let's also talk about this this whole situation here with rents just going through the roof. And again, I just continue to be astounded to hear how much some of these uh, rental prices are, are being hiked here uh, just within a few months. And uh, are, are there any caps on how high landlords can charge for rent? There really isn't. Some cities have ordinances. And like Tony was saying, is on the tribal side, we do have limitations on how much we can charge for rent, but there's not enough regulation legislatively to allow for renters' protection. Yeah, geez. Um, you know, you understand. I mean, some of these. You know, I, I like to always trying to look at like the land, the, the the landlord side of it, right? And they they've got a piece of property, and it's going up in value, and they understand that. Uh, you know, there's demand for these units, and uh, and and they they they're there to make a profit, and and that's fair to an extent. But uh, there's there's got to be some sort of a happy median, doesn't there? Have to be like between what a what a land landlord can charge and still uh, make a profit and 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 take care of their property, but yet something that's affordable to working families. It's something that that tribes and cities need to to move towards of having that that prohibit something to prohibit it at a county level, something to protect the 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 family or the the occupant. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm also thinking, Elizabeth, about uh, some of our younger listeners, folks that are, are maybe going to college or, or coming out of college or they're, they're setting out on their own, and they're probably excited, right? They're going to get that first apartment. I still remember my first apartment. I was sure excited to do that. But uh, what, do, what do young renters need to understand, uh, you know, or even parents that, that have children that are going to be out on their own in a few years? 
uh, in addition to paying attention to these leases and, and other things, what do folks really need to be mindful of when they when they first become renters? Financial literacy is key. Um, a simple tip that, that I was given um, as a younger person is you prioritize your rent before anything else because that new coach purse, those new tennis shoes, that those aren't going to house you at the end of the month, you know, prioritizing your bills. And for a lot of us that came up and struggle, we don't have those tools in our toolbox. So I would say, you know, for both young people coming up and parents, look at the Credit Builders Alliance because there's amazing opportunities to empower people to enter into that position with a powerful credit score because, as we know through the history of redlining in this nation, credit is, is, is the gateway or the door that we can get through to overcome, you know, the, the barriers that have been put in front of us. Now, Elizabeth, we are going to have to wrap up the show here in about another minute or so, but with some of these programs, this Credit Builders Alliance and, and other types of financial education programs that you mentioned, specifically with regard to renters and even homeowners, are there any online resources you can share for our listeners? So if your listeners wanted to go to uh, org, that's Northern Circle's website. Um, our organization, and we have referrals to those programs and also for any of our tribes or tribal communities listening on the phone. If there are policies, procedures, programs, or opportunities that we can share or help train your tribe with, we are an open book resource for our, our sister tribes. Well, folks, unfortunately, that is all the time we have for our show today. But before we wrap up, I'd like to thank all of our guests, Earl Tully, Tony Walters, Koya, Delfina, Crispin, Elizabeth Elliott. Appreciate you all coming on the show today, sharing your experience, sharing your knowledge, sharing these resources. We also had a couple of callers. We sure appreciate you folks chiming in. Please join us tomorrow for discussion about Queen Elizabeth II and the legacy of the British monarchy among indigenous people around the globe. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. Repatriation is the return of ancestors and stolen culture. Work with experts in the field to form strategies and build relations to better the future of repatriation at the 8th Annual Repatriation Conference, October 11th, 12th, and 13th, hosted by the Association on American Indian Affairs and the Pokagon Band of Potawatomi Indians. Learn more at indian-affairs.org. The Association on American Indian Affairs supports this show. Program support by Amerind. For 35 years, Indian country has put its trust in Amerind, providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities, protecting tribal sovereignty, and keeping dollars in Indian country are Amerind's priorities. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at Amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation. 
and native nonprofit media organizations. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.